And I didn't even have to say, give him a round of applause. That, that, was, that was good. That was good. So even though we're doing Psalm 145 today, I picked a scripture out that's slightly, that is different than that. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 32, the first four verses. And this is Moses, in my Bible, when I look at that, it says it's called the Song of Moses. There's really 40 verses in this chapter. We're only going to, we're going to stop at verse 4. And I thought it was interesting as I read through this, the last verse of the previous chapter, verse 31, says this. And Moses recited the words of this song from beginning to end in the hearing of the whole assembly of Israel. Moses recited. That means he knew it. He didn't have to read it. He knew the words. These words are very powerful. Let's look at the first four verses in this psalm. It says, Listen, O heavens, and I will speak. Hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. Let my teaching fall like rain, and my words descend like dew. Like showers on new grass, like abundant rain on tender plants, I will proclaim the name of the Lord, O oh, praise the greatness of our God. He is the rock. His works are perfect, and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just, is he. Today we're going to continue with our series on the Old Testament book of Psalms. Since the month of May, we've been looking at various Psalms, and each have a unique theme. Psalm 1 was talking about wisdom. Psalm 22 was lament. Psalm 2 was considered the royal psalm, and Psalm 19 talked about the Bible. And two weeks ago, Psalm 23 talked about confidence and trust. But today we're going to talk about Psalm 145, which is about praise. Now David is considered the author of Psalm 145. He penned over half of the 150 psalms in the Old Testament. Most of these psalms are prayers, and most of these prayers include praise to God. So what really is praise? Praise is an expression of thanks, adoration, and appreciation directed to God for who he is, what he has done, and what he has promised. Psalm 145 is the beginning of what is considered the great crescendo of praise that completes the book of Psalms. The last five chapters in Psalms, 146 to 150, all begin with the phrase, 
praise the Lord. And they all end with the phrase, praise the Lord. We used Psalm 150 today in our responsive call to worship, and each verse in that psalm started with the word praise. Now there's 21 verses in Psalm 145. And they could be broken down, and I tried to break them down and organize them into six sections. We're going to look at each of those six sections. The first two verses is a commitment to praise. Verses 3 through 7 talks about God's greatness. Verses 8 to 13 talks about God's grace. 14 to 16 talk about God's faithfulness. And 17 to 20, God's righteousness. And finally, the last verse talks about an exhortation to praise, verse 21. So let's look at these six sections. The first one is a commitment to praise. Psalm 145, verse 1 and 2 says, I will exalt you, my God the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. David starts both Psalm 30 and Psalm 34 with similar words. Psalm 30, verse 1 says, I will exalt you, O Lord. And Psalm 34, the first verse says, I will extol the Lord at all times. I will praise you. His praise will always be on my lips. Can we make the same statement that David made? Do we really praise God every day or just on Sunday? Or maybe some special days? God is deserving of our highest praise all the time. It is an honor to praise the Lord. Now Psalm 145 verses 3 through 7 talk about God's greatness. And the words of the psalm say this, Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation will commend your works to another. They will tell of your mighty acts. They will speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. They will tell of the power of your awesome works. And I will proclaim your great deeds. They will celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. What a powerful description of God's 
greatness. Of course, there, there's other sections in the Bible that also talk about it, but I like the words in Job chapter 5, verse 9, which says this. He, talking about God here, he performs wonders that cannot be fathomed, miracles that cannot be counted. Our morning scripture, Deuteronomy 32, verse 3 says, I will proclaim the name of the Lord. Oh, praise the greatness of our God. Now, as I was thinking about this, you know, what do we think of when we mention the word greatness? Well, one might say something at the top of their game or Nothing that can be better. Sports, sports records are something that people relate to because there's such an emphasis on being the best. Next month, we'll, we'll have the Olympics, right? And they're going to give out medals to who is the best, the best performers. They're going to have records that will be broken. You'll hear all about it nonstop for about three weeks. We should have heard about it last year, but we couldn't, so we are going to hear about it in 21. Of course, one of my favorite sports is baseball. Since I played a lot of baseball when I was growing up, had a lot of hobbies regarding to baseball, I collected baseball cards. Baseball cards. I still have them in my basement because I found out how much they're worth if they're in good condition. But my favorite, one of my favorites, and, and before I continue, I, I know I'm supposed to have props. I know you all expect props, so I brought some props. Don't, don't get excited. Many of you have said, oh, good, props today. I, no, I'll get to that. But anyway, one of my favorite records in sports was in baseball, and it, it was a record of not really great skill or great ability, though it did involve that. It was the record of just playing each game that your team played. And Lou Gehrig, when I was a boy, had a record that was considered unbreakable. He played in 2,130 consecutive games before he developed a disease, ALS, which is a muscular disease, which made him leave the lineup. Now, I didn't have a baseball card of Lou Gehrig because I wasn't born, I wasn't around then. But I have a plate that's got Lou Gehrig's picture on it because I have a few of these plates at home of great baseball players and Lou Gehrig was one of my favorite players. Because not only because he was so good, but because he played every game. He was called the Iron Horse. Nothing would keep him out of the lineup for his team until he developed this ALS disease, which was later renamed after him, the Lou Gehrig disease. Once he got it, he no longer could play. And in fact, he died two years later after he contracted the disease. But he was considered the iron horse. But then, even in the early 80s, when St. Louis had a wonderful shortstop named Ozzie Smith, Baltimore had also a wonderful shortstop named Cal Ripken. And Cal broke Lou Gehrig's record of playing 2,131 games, but he played another 502 games. On top of that, he played in 2,632 
consecutive games without missing. In fact, Cal played seven seasons without missing an inning. They never took him out of a game for seven straight years. Now, I mentioned both Cal and Lou because they felt it was their responsibility to show up and play every game. Now, God is like that, but so much more. You know, he is there every day, every hour, every minute, every second. When we think God is not there, that he has forgotten me, that he doesn't care about me or what's happening to me, he is there. And his greatness is not comparable to anything that we can even imagine. Now, the third thing I want to mention this morning is God's greatness in Psalm 145. Verses, I'm sorry, God's grace in Psalm 145, verses 8 to 13. The Bible says this, The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. All he has made will praise you, O Lord. Your saints will extol you. They will tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might so that all men may know your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is faithful to all his promises and loving toward all he has made. We read in Psalm 86, verse 15, similar words. It says, But you, O Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Now, regarding God's kingdom, David is referring to the broadest use of the word kingdom. He's talking about God, the eternal king, ruling over all from before creation and eternally thereafter. I think the best example of God's grace is found in John chapter 3, verse 16, those familiar words that says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You know, if you think of the word grace, you can think of the acronym, God's riches at Christ's expense. Those are powerful words, and they... They talk about the grace that's offered to all of us. All undeserving grace. But God loves us so much that he died for us. And he wants to have a relationship continually with us our whole life. Now God's faithfulness is found in Psalm 145, verses 14 to 16, which says, 
The Lord upholds all those who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. For the eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. Sometimes we all have burdens and they seem that they're more than we can bear. And we really wonder how can we kind of push on with things going on in our lives. Each one of us has different things. We wonder, how do we push on? How can we make it through today? How do we make it through next week? How do I do tomorrow? David had these same feelings in his life, yet he trusted God in his faithfulness to lift him up because we can tell that by the words that he penned right in this psalm. Psalm 145 has 11 examples of what I'm talking about. God is able to lift us up because it tells us in verse 3, his greatness is unfathomable. Verse 4, it says he does mighty acts across all generations. Verse 5, he's full of glorious splendor and majesty. Verse 5 and 6, he does wonderful and awesome acts. Verse 7, he is righteous. Verse 8 and 9, he is gracious, compassionate, patient, and loving. Verse 13, he rules over an everlasting kingdom. Verse 15, he is the source of our daily needs. And verses we haven't even discussed yet, verse 17, he's righteous and loving in all his dealings. Verse 18, he remains near to all who call on him. And finally, Verse 19 and 20, he hears our cries and saves us. God's righteousness is discussed in verses 17 to 20, where the Bible tells us, the Lord is righteous in all his ways and loving toward all he has made. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and he saves them. The Lord watches over all those who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. Now, after the book of Psalms in the Old Testament is the book of Proverbs. Along with Psalms, Proverbs is probably the most read book in the Old Testament. It often compares and contrasts the lifestyle of the righteous and the wicked. And it makes a strong case for living a life according to God's patterns and his ways. 
the advantages of righteous living and the disadvantages of the wicked are stunning when we review them in the book of Proverbs. As I looked in Proverbs, there's various aspects, lifestyles, that I want to compare and contrast to talk about the wicked and talk about the righteous. Basically, in their outlook, in their outlook on life, the righteous outlook is hopeful. The wicked's outlook is fearful. It tells us in Proverbs 10, 24. The outlook for the righteous is that they, they understand justice. The wicked, they don't, under, don't understand justice. It says that in Proverbs 28, verse 5. The response to the righteous is that they're covered in blessings. The wicked are covered in violence, it tells us in Proverbs 10, verse 6. The righteous persevere against evil, we're told, while the wicked hate those with integrity, it tells us in Proverbs 29, verse 10. As seen by other people, the righteous are appreciated. The wicked lead others to sin, it tells us in Proverbs 16, 29. The righteous conduct is upright. The wicked's conduct, we're told, is devious in Proverbs 21, verse 8. As far as the quality of their life, the righteous stand firm. The wicked are swept away, it tells us in Pro Proverbs 10, 25. The short-term results for the righteous is they are walking securely. While the wicked, the Bible tells us, will be found out. In Proverbs 10, verse 9. Of course, the long-term results is the righteous, that God will protect them. But the wicked, we're told, God will destroy them. In Proverbs 10, 29. And the last two, the eternal expectations for the righteous is they will earn a sure reward while the wicked earn a deceptive wage. It tells us in Proverbs 11, verse 18. The righteous will attain life. The wicked will go to death, tells us in Proverbs eleven nineteen. And finally, what is God's opinion of the righteous? The Bible tells us this word. He delights in the righteous. And what is the word, God's opinion of the wicked? He detests the wicked. It tells us in Proverbs 11, verse 20. You know, in the New Testament, Jesus had this to say about righteousness. He said, Matthew 6, 33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all other things will be given to you as well. The Lord God knows what you need but we should turn to God first for help. To fill your thoughts with his desires, 
to take his character as your example and to serve and obey him in everything. Now, this is not easy to accomplish. We can't do it on our own. We can only do it through the power and the strength of the Holy Spirit leading us. Can we possibly do these things? And finally, the last verse of Psalm 145 is an exhortation to praise. Verse 21 says, My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature bless his holy name forever and ever. Really, the conclusion of this psalm speaks of what we should do each day. Praise the Lord. Again, as I mentioned earlier, the remaining chapters, 146 to 150, all begin and end with the words, Praise the Lord. Over the past several months, really from the month of December to April, I had been reading the book of Psalms each day as part of my Old Testament reading. There's 150 chapters. If you read one a day, it takes you five months to get through that. And if you don't know, Psalms is the middle chapter of the Bible. If you just open your Bible in the middle, you should get somewhere in Psalms. In fact, Psalm 117 is the middle exact middle of the Bible. Psalm 117. It's also the shortest chapter in the Bible. Two verses. And as I read those verses, I said, those verses are perfect for my message today. Those words were, Praise the Lord, all you nations. Extol him, all you peoples. For great is his love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Those two verses. And they're so meaningful in context with what we're doing today. So what does praise really do? Well, praise takes our minds off of our problems and our shortcomings and focuses them on God. Praise leads us from individual meditation to, to corporate worship, as we're doing this morning. Praise causes us to consider and appreciate God's character. And finally, praise lifts our perspective from the earthly to the heavenly. Now, there's other, there's other sections in the Bible that, that talk about praise and the meaning of praise. I, in concluding here, I, lo I looked up 10 of these sections and what they talk about. Talking about, one, singing praises to God. It tells us to do that in Judges 5, verses 1 to 2. Begin any task that you have with praise. It tells us in 1 Chronicles 15, verses 16 to 25. Begin your worship with praise, the Bible tells us, in 2 Chronicles 5, verse 13. Give praise to God, I like this one, not yourself. 
it tells us in Ezra chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. Praise develops from a grateful attitude, it tells us in Isaiah 12, 1. You should put praise into your prayers, it tells us in Luke 11, 1 through 4. This is a tough one. Praising God despite your circumstances. Tells us we should do that in Acts 16, 22 to 25. Praise should be the proper response to salvation, the Bible tells us in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. You should provide a sacrifice of praise, it tells us in Hebrews 13, 15 and 16. And upright behavior causes others to praise God. Your upright behavior causes others to praise. It tells us in 1 Peter 2, 12. Praise should be our natural response to a loving God. He is in charge, and we should give him praise for that. Praise the Lord. I'm going to ask Mark and the, the praise team to come up as we do our final song. <laughs>